this is Sloika Darkroom. This is where we share stories and celebrate success of photographers in the Web3 space. We've invited Scott to join us today because he has a really cool series out on Sloika for one, uh, which I pinned to the top of the space. Um, it's called Shooting from the Hip. And um, we heard about this, this work on Wednesday during our drop party. And I just thought it was so cool because um, it's really a, a street photography um, genre series. But um, Scott is also a professional photojournalist. And um, I just thought we have so many street photographers in our community and um, not very many photojournalists as far as I know. Maybe they're hiding. <laughs> um, but I, I thought it was just a cool delineation between um, you know, doing street photography versus doing professional photojournalism. And Scott, I would love it if we could um, dive deep into that topic and and you know just learn philosophically like the difference between the two um but for for those in the room who weren't here on wednesday um would you mind just starting off and uh giving us a, a brief introduction to yourself and and a little bit of your photography journey absolutely um so i was uh, born and raised on the south side of chicago my father was a tire dealer and so i was uh, supposed to take over the family business and I went to college to be a business major, and halfway through college, I stumbled upon a gallery show of photojournalism from a Chicago Tribune photographer. His name's Paul Giroux. And um, I had been interested in photography up to that point just as kind of a, an apparatus to um, enjoy sports because I was a big sports nerd as a kid, and I played baseball, and then I you know, attended a lot of sporting events in Chicago. So I you know, really loved photography, mostly because I liked looking at the sports section in the newspaper or looking at Sports Illustrated magazine. And, and I would put all the um, sports covers on my wall and the swimsuit issues and things like that. And so I really never thought of photography as a career, even though I had a camera that I borrowed from my dad and I would photograph sporting events from the seats. Or um, when I got to college, I would take my camera to a you know, a frat party and, 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 you know, but it never, you know, was ever something that was on my radar as a career. But when I saw this gallery show of work by this Chicago tripping photographer, I immediately was like struck by lightning. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And, and I, I, I meekly walked up to the photographer, Paul, and, you know, asked him, you know, how, you know, basically, how do I become you? What's the secret recipe to become a, a photographer? And, and of course, there is no really secret recipe. There's a thousand different paths to almost any profession. But, you know, he just kind of, you know, gave me a little, little tidbits of advice. And, and so I continued my business major, but then I also adopted an art major at my college. It was Ripon College, which is a small liberal arts college in Wisconsin. And um, there was no photo program. So I just kind of studied art history I did some watercolors kind of badly. And then when I got out of college, I um, sent out these really kind of sad resumes and cover letters to all the newspapers in the Midwest. I didn't even include a portfolio of images because I really had basically nothing. And, and luckily, a photographer in Milwaukee at the newspaper there um, had me come up and show my work to him. And 
you know, and he was super supportive, you know, even though I think my portfolio consisted of 10 photos of public sculpture in Chicago with no people in them. And then I had some photos of reflections and um, shadows and just kind of all these kind of like what I thought was arty. And then I, I had some really kind of far away sports photos. And, and the guy was really sweet. And he said, oh, well, it seems like you have a really good eye, you know, but I think you either need to go back to school for this or get a job at a small paper. So he dropped me the name of a guy, John H. White, who is probably my photo hero. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner from the Chicago Sun-Times. Um, he um, just amazing person, wonderful guy. And so he was teaching at Columbia College in Chicago. And I called him up and I said, hey, John, I want to take your, or I probably said Mr. White. I don't think I called him John. But I said, I, I really would like to take your photojournalism class. And he said, well, do you have any photo experience? I said, no. So he said, well, you have to take photo one and darkroom one first, because um, this was back in the film days. And, and so I applied for those classes, and I got in. And then maybe two months into those classes, one of the cover letters that I'd sent out to a tiny newspaper called and said, hey, you know, would you come in and we'd like to you know, interview you for a part-time position? And and so I brought in my same kind of bad portfolio of images. And, but they only really had two questions. They asked if I could use a, a flash, which I'd never used before. But of course, I lied and said yes. And then they asked if I could roll my own film, which was, I thought was an odd question because I didn't even know what that meant. But I said yes. And so I got hired. And you know, I started at, I think, 16 hours a week at $4.25 an hour and basically learned by just making mistakes. And, and so I was a, you know, totally into photojournalism and sports photography, you know, from this was 1986 all the way through, you know, in through the 2000s, you know, I worked at many small newspapers. Then I got, I got a job at the Chicago Tribune, but I'd never thought of sport. I'm, I never thought of street photography as something that I was interested in, in photographing. Um, but, you know, during those 20 plus years of, or 30 years of um, photography, the one thing that always bothered me was when I would walk into a room as a newspaper photographer, people would know I was there. People would say, oh, the newspaper guy's here, or I'm going to be photographed, or I was sent to someone's house to photograph them for a story, and, and they just always were camera aware, or they were acting up for the camera, or they were pretending to live a life that wasn't their life, or, or they would just be shy and not want to be photographed. And, and I know that's part of my job because, you know, I they were called assignments and it's called a job. Um, but I was kind of craving something a little purer, more real. And um, back when I was a teenager, I'd seen a Gary Winograd documentary. And this was way before I knew what street photography was, way before I had an interest in photography. But there was just something about this documentary on, on Gary Winograd that was just so interesting and bizarre and strange. And, and you know, he just made these really strange, odd photos in New York City and you know, it just for me at the time was, was, was pretty mind blowing. And it, you know, it really kind of left a mark on me. And then, you know, for some reason in 2010 with this frustration of, you know, kind of not getting burned out of newspaper work, but just looking for something else to kind of spread my, you know, creative wings, you know, I decided I'm going to start doing street photography. I, I worked at the Tribune Tower on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, just a super, you know, hustling, bustling, vibrant place. And so I started walking around, um, you know, the streets when I had a chance, you know, with a big 
35 millimeter camera. And, you know, I, for me, like, I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm a little bit shy and timid at times, you know, I started shooting from the hip. So I basically would have the camera at my waist. And, and even though I had this big clunky professional camera, people still had no idea they were being photographed because, you know, the camera wasn't to my eye. And, you know, there's a whole, we could do a whole, um, you know, space on consent and photographing people when they're unaware um, and if that's good or bad or if there's a way to do street photography without doing that. Um, but for me, I understand if people think it's creepy. I understand if people, you know, have a problem with it. But for me, it's the only way that I can think of to make pure, real moments of, of real life. And, and, and even in my photojournalism job, all my best photos are made when people don't know they're being photographed. But in photojournalism, after I photograph them, I will then approach them and ask their name and maybe get context for what happened, that, what I was photographing. But street photography is not about context. You know, it's not about words. It's about just the feeling in the moment. And so for me, there's no reason to, to talk to the people I'm photographing. Um, unless it's just, you know, they in, initiate a conversation and then I'm free to do it. Um, but, you know, so I, I did a, a couple years of street photography with my big camera. And then um, my daughter and I went to um, Washington, D.C. on a, a college visit for her. And she had an iPhone, but I had a company issued BlackBerry from the Chicago Tribune, which, you know, did not have a very good camera in it. Um, but, you know, one of the big kind of, um, like mobile photography moments in the photojournalism industry was a photographer named Damon Winter, who now is at the New York Times. And I think it was at the LA Times then. He um, was in um, Iraq covering the war. And while he was there, he downloaded the Hipstamatic app um, on his iPhone. And he started making everyday photos of the soldiers in Iraq using this kind of heavily filtered um, app you know, that kind of, you know, kind of shifted the colors and it, you know, had some vignetting to it. And, you know, it just wasn't photojournalistic. And so he entered those photos in, in one of the prestigious photojournalism contests and he ended up winning third prize in like picture story or something. And of course, all these really hardcore photojournalists, their heads just exploded. Like, this is unethical. You know, these are filtered images. This is an iPhone. You know, how could this be awarded? And, and so it, it really kind of was a, a very controversial moment, you know, in like, is an iPhone a legitimate camera? And if, and if you use a filter on an app, is that something that you can pass off as photojournalism? And, and you know, people have different opinions about it. And so, you know, I paid attention to it because I was a big contest photographer back then. And, you know, I downloaded the Hipstamatic app. So when I was on this trip with my daughter, I downloaded the app on her phone and I walked around Washington, D.C. doing street photography with the iPhone. And I immediately fell in love with, one, the way the Hipstamatic app looked. It was square. I was shooting in black and white. And it just kind of made images that were really different than the kind I made with my professional camera. And, and also, I really liked kind of being more, um, you know, stealth with it, where I could, you know, you know, with an iPhone, when you're in a major city, nobody knows that you're photographing them, um, just because, you know, everyone has an iPhone and everyone's photographing. And, you know, and I especially like doing street photography in a place where a lot of tourists are. So I even blend in even more. So once I, I started doing um, 
you know, iPhone hipstamatic photography in Washington, D.C. I came back to Chicago. I got myself an iPhone, downloaded the app, and I just went crazy for like a year. I was just like doing street photography all the time. I was posting 15 images on Facebook and Instagram every day. And I know that people were like, oh, my God, slow down, Scott. This is a little too much content here. But I just was like, just like, it was just like I was a kid again, you know, just like it was like discovering photography again for the first time. And so I've, you know, I'm a creature of habit. So I've continued to use um, the iPhone with the Hipstamatic app throughout the past 10 or so years. Um, but, you know, I've kind of expanded it. Not only do I do street photography with it, I do long-term stories with my iPhone, with the app. And, and so, it, you know, for me, it, it's just become a second camera. And I've never been a, been a photographer who carried a professional camera with them at all times. So, um, you know, it's great for me to have the iPhone in my pocket. So if I'm walking the dog and I see something interesting, I'll make a photo of it. Or if I'm, you know, just kind of on vacation and I didn't bring a camera with, you know, I have my iPhone to, to, to make images. And, and there'll even be times now where I'm photographing, you know, an event for the newspaper, but I'll also do kind of more street type images with my iPhone. Like a perfect example is, um, um, I shoot a lot of baseball games for the paper and the Oakland athletics. Um, they, they play in this dumpy old concrete stadium called the Oakland Coliseum. And, and the first time I visited there in 2014, it reminded me of Comiskey park, which was where the Chicago white Sox used to play when I was a kid. And it just, you know, was this really kind of crappy falling apart stadium, but just, I love the feel of it. it you know, I, I don't like new things. I don't like, like brand new stadiums. I just like old kind of vintage things. So um, I started doing um, an iPhone um, essay on the Oakland Coliseum, which I'm going to eventually make a book. So I've been doing that for nine years now. And, you know, so I'll do my photojournalism, sports photography, but at the same time, I will then do street photography at a baseball game, you know, with my iPhone. And so for me, just the way I shoot it kind of delineates whether it's photojournalism or street photography or, or, you know, even though I do occasionally do street photography with my professional camera, I pretty much do all of it with my iPhone. And so for, in my head, you know, that's where the disconnect is. That's where the difference is. But, but I know that, you know, we can talk about this more. You know, everyone has a, a definition of what street photography is. You know, some people, you know, go and they do portraits on the street. Some people, you know, talk to, um, you know, people in, in, in kind of learn their stories and get more context. But for me, you know, it's all just about the moment, about the feeling, about the mood, about the light. And, you know, the people are almost just kind of um, compositional elements, you know, where, you know, I, I tend to, um, you know, just want to make images that make me feel something. And it's just very spontaneous. It's very ephemeral. It's not something that I'm really looking to you know, to last for, for ever. For me, it's just in the moment. And a lot of times, you know, I'll make a, a photo, I'll look at it on my phone, I'll put it on Instagram right away. And then I might never look at, at the take I made that, that day. You know, sometimes I'll go back and go through all my images, um, like when I'm doing this collection for Sloika, where I went back and kind of looked through about 10 years of images, which was fun. But most of the time, it's just I'm in the moment, and then, you know, once I'm done with that street photography session, I don't really even think about what I'd created. So, you know, if you guys have any questions, I know I've been kind of monologuing here for a little bit. But, uh, you know, it definitely for me has revitalized me, you know, street photography. And 
you know, I'm a big fan of, of, of street photography of, of other people's work too. There's just something about it that, you know, photojournalism answers questions while street photography asks questions, you know, and I just like that difference between, you know, the objectiveness of photojournalism and the subjectiveness of street photography. And um, so, you know, for me, you know, all these kind of definitions can be blurred and, and you can do street photography. That's photojournalism. You can do photojournalism. That's street photography. But, you know, for me, they're, they're definitely in my head is a, is a, a complete difference. That's a really great introduction um, to to your philosophy and uh, and how you got to where you are now. Um, thank you so much for that. I, I really appreciate it. I was trying to take notes because I wanted to know who was this person that you saw the very first in the, in the gallery show. You said his name is Paul. And I yeah, yeah. Paul Giro. His last name is G-E-R-O. And, okay. uh, and it's so funny. It's like me and Paul are now friends. And, <laughs> and like he gets so embarrassed because I like constantly – you know, when I give a photo talk, you know, kind of <laughs> reference him as, as the spark for my career and stuff. And um, so he's, I don't think he does photojournalism anymore. He does, a, he does a lot of weddings and, and lifestyle photography and stuff, but, but just a great guy. And, cool. um, you know, you know, so definitely, you know, never forget Paul. Yeah. So I got Paul DeRoe, John White, Damon Winter. I've got those names written down. I'm going to check out their work. Um, Cause I, I know I, I'm someone who, um, when I when I when I do see a really good photojournalist who just who really captures the you know the character of of the of the life that we're going through now you know like just the, the textured of it I I um, I'm someone who really really appreciates those uh, those images you know like I, I'm someone who will like scroll through like um, th- this weekend photos or something you know back when we. I don't, I can't seem to find that anymore now on my Apple news, but back when it was like on Yahoo or wherever it was, I'd just be like, okay, let me just see the, the week of photos um, from around the world. And, and I do think that it's, it's so amazing to see so much story captured in, in one image. And, um, but, but I also, you know, I also love street photography. So I just had to write down those names to make sure I could check some of these inspirational (laughs) ones out. Yeah, and uh, just a couple of words I want to say. Uh, your mentor, I think it was Paul, right? Uh, he was completely right. You have, you do have a great eye, and uh, like your uh, series on Sloika, if you just again, guys, just open it and go on a large screen one by one. They're like slices of the reality, and it's like reading a book. And uh, I like this low key, and uh, it's like it leaves you room for the fantasy and the like, imagination and uh, you have something very unique uh, on a series uh, comparing to other series, uh, three series on Sloika sorry about that but still uh, you have a visual story out of them because it's not a single shot in the series, it's just entire story and it's it's so rare actually to see it in a series originally it's just a bunch of good or bad shots but now you have a really really good story so wow i love it and uh, <laughs> i like the story about this hipstomatic camera and uh, because i think in pursuit of the technical component we forget why we took the camera in our hands in the first place <laughs> yeah so technical now prevail um i have a question to you actually scott um talking about the street photography um well there are different again uh, uh, opinions, right? What street photography is, and it's hard to say. But for you, what is the most important? Are you trying to convey the emotion, or are you trying to make uh, like slices of reality, or just 
raise the questions. So like, what's most important to you? Yeah, so my goal is I want to celebrate life. Um, you know, I've, I'm an optimist, you know, like I know that if you sat down and watched cable news or watched a news program, you kind of feel like the world is falling apart, you know, and there are some really bad things happening in the world. And um, I'm not trying to you know, gloss over that. But I do feel that 99% of what goes on in daily life is, is wonderful. And, and, and I think we don't take time to appreciate the good things and that we kind of dwell on the bad things too much. And so just when I walk down the street, you know, I've always, you know, I think this all goes back to when I was a kid. And I, I mentioned this several times where, you know, every summer from when I was like six till 13, um, me, my two older sisters, my parents and my mom's parents would pile into a station wagon every summer for two weeks and we would drive to a different part of the United States. And so by the time I was 13, I'd been to all 48 of the lower states. I'd been to all the lower provinces of Canada. And so for me, I just loved sitting in that station wagon during the summer, looking out the window at things that went by. You know, I, I, I really wish I was a child photography prodigy because I would just love to see these images of, of America in the 1970s. But, um, you know, but still, I, I just felt it kind of created this visual appetite that I had. And I think that, you know, street photography me kind of satiates that appetite because, you know, photojournalism for me is hyper reality. You know, I'm always shooting the ends of the spectrum. I'm either shooting a parade or a funeral or the Super Bowl or, you know, someone winning an award or it's just always kind of, you know, there has to be a news hook. And, and you know, there are times when I get to, you know, photograph just daily life, which I call just like the mundane but it's very rare in the newspaper world. And, and even if it is the mundane, you know, it's a housewife who had a leg amputated, you know, it's just like it always has to be something. And, and also when it is the mundane at times, people are just, you know, I'll go to someone's house. I've, done, you know, I've probably had 100, 200, 300 assignments in my career like this where go to this person's house, they did X, Y, or Z, and you're going to hang out with them and their family for a couple hours and just kind of photograph what their daily life looks like. And so I show up at the door and I say hello, and they say, hey, nice to meet you. I hear you're here to photograph us. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? We could play Monopoly. We could walk to the park. We could do this. We could help the kids with their homework. And it's always just this fake show, and it's just like it's never real. Because if it was real, you know, the kids would be in their room on their phones. The dad would be in the garage working on something. You know, the mom might be, you know, working on a, you know, a business project in, at the kitchen table. And so it just all, it's like, that's what real life is. Real life is not four people gathered around, you know, the kids for two hours when I'm there. And then, then all of a sudden I leave and they go their separate ways. And, and so street photography for me, that celebration of life is just, you know, I keep saying this over and over again. It's just, it's just pure moments. People don't know they're being photographed, and in public, people, they, you know, they'll do the strangest, weirdest things because I guess they feel like they, they don't know, um, you know, what, um, you know, what it looks like to other people, or they think people don't notice. Like I think one of the perfect examples of Omar Z. Robles, if you look at some of his work, you know, and you know, he just captures these strange, odd moments and. And it's like, those are the ones that I love. I just love these strange juxtapositions and just kind of ironic moments and just things that are just so bizarre that you, you don't even, you know, couldn't even imagine something str as strange happening in front of your camera. 
Wow, yeah, this celebration of life. I, I, I think I should steal it because I, I really like this uh, explanation. You know, actually, you remind me um, one of the characters of uh, Viktor Pilevin. There is a Russian writer very known, and uh, in one of his books, uh, there was a conversation between uh, two characters, and uh, there was a question, what are you trying to find in your life? And the answer was, uh, I want to find a golden joy. And what is a golden joy? Uh is when a peculiar flight of a free thought makes it possible to see the beauty of life, something like this. I just remember the sentence. And uh, yeah, this, it's so clear. And it, I think your celebration of life, is, it really it makes sense. And it's like, really, I love it. Thanks. Yeah, I was just, um, I did a little bit of research before this, just to kind of see what other people were saying the difference between street photography and photojournalism was. And I came across a Pablo Picasso quote which it said, all art is lies, but from that we gather truth. And, and, and like, I still haven't really wrapped my brain around that yet enough, and I need to think about that more. But, but I do feel like any photography or any photograph can be a lie and is a lie, but it also is a truth at the same time, you know, because it, it's all so, so biased. You know, because everything is being filtered through me, even my photojournalism, which is supposed to be truth and, and objective, it's still filtered through how I've lived my life, you know, what my leanings are, you know, politically and religiously and socially. And so, like, when I go out and photograph an event, I am editing and, and picking moments that I think tell the story. But it's, it's my story that I'm telling. It's not someone else's story. And so... You know, just like if I went to a, a protest in San Francisco and it was a three hour long protest and people were marching in the streets and, you know, they had signs. And, and then all of a sudden, for 10 seconds, a scuffle broke out between, you know, a protester and, and someone else. And, and I photographed that. And that would probably be the only photo that ran in the newspaper from that event when really it was just kind of a small percentage of what happened that day. But, but oh, that's the most dramatic and exciting thing. So that's going to stand as what happened at that event. And, you know, so it, it's really not true because if it was true, the vast majority of what I photograph is boring and it's uninteresting visually. But I just search out to try to find the most visually interesting moment at a, an assignment. And that becomes, you know, this is what happened. And, and so I think it's, it's kind of interesting how, you know, you know, we talk about what's true and what's, what's, what's not. And, and, you know, I guess there, everything has, has shades of truth and, 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 you know, whatever to it. So like, now I'm just blabbling, so I will stop. <laughs> no, this is all good. This is all great. Um, I, I wanted to just also um, open up our, our stage to anyone else who would like to come up and be part of the conversation. So I know um, we do have some other photographers in the room um, if you if you guys have questions for Scott or have, have uh, thoughts of your own about you know how you delineate for yourself you know the difference between photojournalism and street photography, um, I think that would be really fascinating to hear. Um, so please just request to come up and be a speaker here with us because um, that's what Mondays are about is, is open conversation. Um, how, how does how does the because um, we talked about you know photojournalism which, um, you know, is a, you know, like that's actually a career and a paid, you know, like an actual like job at a, a place where you can get paid for doing that. Um, street photographer maybe is a little more of a 
self-defined, you know, artist, fine art sort of label for someone might give themselves. But what, where does the difference come in between uh, like a, um, a documentary f- photography? Um, does that, uh, ha- does that have a nuance that's a little different between, because I feel like you've done also some photo documentation, uh, like storytelling, long, long form storytelling um, that might not fit either into photojournalism or the street photography um, with your common ground uh, project. But do you, yeah, do you, do you yeah. consider that kind of like a nuanced, different slice of yeah, I, reality? I think, yeah, I think documentary photography is the, the, the love child of photojournalism and street photography. You know, I think there's a little of both in it. And it's something that, um, you know, with photojournalism, you know, we have so many rigid ethical boundaries that we can't cross, whether it's um, asking someone to do something for us, you know, trying to, um, you know, change reality, you know, by interacting with it. Also, in post-production with photojournalism, you know, all we can kind of do is is make it look like it looked in reality. We can't, you know, remove items from the photos. We can't you know, darken them too much or lighten them or, you know, desaturate or oversaturate, you know, we pretty much, you know, need to, you know, just the way that the photo comes out of the camera with maybe a little bit of tweaking um, is all we can do. And, and so I think, you know, when you get into documentary photography, there's a little more room for personal expression for, you know, letting your vision and your voice kind of shine through um, where in photojournalism, where I feel like, um, you know, I'm, I'm just doing work for my editors or doing work for the writer or doing work for the, the viewer where, you know, I'm not really, you know, photographing at 100% how I see the world. You know, I kind of rein back my creativity a little bit, you know, and in documentary work, I can be a little more creative. I can be a little more, <clears throat> you know, just kind of, um, you know, not, not having to have every photo have context, not have every photo be an informational you know, image. And, you know, and I've had editors over the years who kind of were like, Hey, we need, we need you to be more creative with your daily work. It's okay. And, and, you know, and I, and I actually now, you know, my editors will see a lot of my personal projects, whether it be street photography or I do fine art photography at the ocean where I do these intentional camera movements, slow shutter speed images where there'll be certain assignments where they're like, Hey, you know, can you do this, this assignment in the style of your street photography? Or can you do this assignment, you know, kind of it's slow shutter speed, it's more kind of an RD piece and stuff. So, so I, I think that's, I love that when, when my editors ask me to kind of use more of my creativity, um, because I do feel sometimes I'm, I, I stifle myself when I'm doing photojournalism, because I feel like, you know, I can't, you know, be too arty with this. Although, you know, over the, the decades I've been in the business, just the style of, of photojournalism has changed. You know, when I started in the late 80s, many of the images were shot with longer lenses, um, very clean backgrounds, maybe one layer of information. And then as the 90s came by, you know, some of the Danish photographers started to influence uh, photojournalism in America. And so we started doing more layered images and, and wide angle and you know, having big out of focus heads in the foreground, you know, and then as the, you know, 2000s came along, we all were tilting our, 
our, our horizons on every single photo. No matter what it was, we were tilting left, tilting right, you know, to give a little extra energy to the image. And, and now I feel like, you know, the kind of trend now is just kind of stepping back and just kind of letting the scene breathe and not, you know, getting in there and filling every, you know, inch of the frame with, with content, but just kind of stepping back and, you know, having the scene kind of carry the moment more. And, and so, you know, it's interesting because like over the years, you know, just kind of what photojournalism is, has changed. And there were a lot of, you know, ethical things that people did 30, 40, 50 years ago that you couldn't do now. So it's all just still an evolution. Um, but documentary photography is, you know, something that I feel, you know, is, you know, my favorite thing to do. You know, like I said, there I have issues with photojournalism where I feel it's not really real, that it's more kind of, you know, the highs and lows of life and, and street photography, which I love too, but that's a little more free flowing and just kind of, you know, you know, kind of almost not throwaway work, but just me like sketching on a, a, a napkin or something while I'm at a bar. Um, but documentary work is, is definitely what I feel, you know, cause I, I want the photography that I consume from other people to tell me something, not only about what they're photographing, but also about the photographer themselves you know, I want to, you know, know what they feel about the world and how they see the world, because that's what makes us all unique, because all of us in this room could stand at the same place with a camera and come out with totally different versions of what we're seeing. And, and I think that's what's exciting about photography is that, you know, everyone sees the world differently and, and everyone creates different images, even if it's of the same content. So, um, yeah, so documentary is, is definitely different for photojournalism and street, but I do feel it's a, kind of a meld of the two. Yeah, and I feel I, I feel like um, you know documentary photography, just like documentary filmmaking, comes from just just by nature of you know the, who the storyteller is and the story that you're trying to tell. You know, because you're directing the story by what you choose to show and share. Um, definitely has that um, that personal. Uh, perspective in there I don't want to say bias but I want to say like you know that personal perspective that you bring to the story and it's like here is what I'm noticing and here's what I want you to see because I'm telling you a story um so that that's kind of I guess where um kind of what you were saying is like um the the storytelling that comes in there um is you know that that's truly a reality that that you're showing that um is of your own you know, what you've noticed. Um, and I was curious also, like, I could kind of see my own self kind of going both ways. Like if an editor was like, hey, can you bring that creative artistic side into into this like shoot? I mean, I, I almost feel like it could be, I could see why you'd be like, yeah, finally I get to be creative with my editorial. But on the other hand, you'd be like, wait, that's my artist self. <laughs> that's for me and my hipstamatic. Like, do you ever have that conflict feeling or like as an artist yeah, like, a little... yeah I want you to love my work no matter who's paying for it or how but you know what I mean like there's a little yeah for there. sure for sure and like you know and I also like you know I think I've been doing this long enough I think they can trust me that you know I can kind of know when to turn it on and turn it off and things like that but like probably the, the worst two words you can see on a photo assignment are be creative which means 
this is a really bad assignment. This assignment has no visual possibility. So be creative. You know, that's, it's kind of like this, this phrase in photojournalism that's like, oh no, this has got to be a really bad assignment because we get some bad ones. You know, it's like, you know, of course, if you looked at my portfolio, it's like, oh, look at these glamorous events and these amazing moments that Scott has captured. But if you see my daily life where it's just kind of, okay, we're doing a story on this high rise. They're going to be building on this empty lot. Go photograph this empty lot at noon on a Tuesday. You know, it's just like, all right, you know, and you just try to do your best and, um, you know, or, you know, like it just, I would say 80% of what I do is, is just kind of, you know, digging a hole and filling it back up. And I try my best, of course, and try to, to make the best images, but, you know, but that 20% of, of, of amazing things that I photograph, you know, makes it all worthwhile. But, you know, definitely, um, you know, I think another, you know, I don't want this to, to be like a bitch session about photojournalism, but another thing, too, that I feel that editors tend to do too much is pre-visualize the photos that you're going to make at an assignment. And so there have been many times where, you know, they've had this very specific idea of what I'm supposed to photograph and what's going to happen. And then I come back with, with photos that are totally different than what they imagined was going to happen. And they just can't get off of their pre-visualization. They're like, well, what about this? What about that? Why didn't you photograph this? Why didn't you photograph that? And it's like, well, because it didn't happen. You know, it's like, you know, I know you thought it was going to happen, but it didn't. And, you know, and so, so when you kind of have to fight against, you know, an editor who, who feels like they want to, they want certain photos from a story and, and those all they want. And, you know, we, we do a lot of these stories like, Oh, the, the Oakland athletics are, are having poor attendance. So, you know, at the game today, photograph, um, you know, the poor attendance and then you get there and it's like bobblehead giveaway day and there's like 40,000 fans there and they want you to photograph an empty stadium. And it's like, well, it wasn't empty today, you know? So, so it's definitely, you know, there are, I think the reason maybe I, I like documentary and street photography work is because I'm a hundred percent in control and I can kind of create what I want to create. And when, you know, as the job part of it with photojournalism, where I have a boss and someone's, you know, judging my daily output, it's, it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's not as much fun. Uh, so Scott, I have a question. Uh, what do you do, uh, if the person doesn't like the fact that you took a picture of him or her? And uh, how do you deal with the unhappy modules, let's say? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm the same way. Like when someone photographs me and I look at the images and they're like, look at this photo of you, I love it. And I'm like, oh my God, look at my chin. It's like, Ugh, uh, you know, it's like you always, you know, I think people you photograph sometimes just see the flaws. But in, in street photography, um, you know, I've, I've probably over the 10, 12 years I've been doing it, I could probably count on, on one hand times people have actually stopped and said, did you take my photo? If you did delete that photo, you know? And, and so my first instinct is to try to kind of, you know, charm them and say, Oh, Hey, you know, I, I, I work for this newspaper and I do street photography on the side and, you know, I put it on my Instagram and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, three out of four times people are like, oh, okay, fine. Or, but don't, or don't publish that. But there'll be people who are just adamant delete that photo and I'll delete it. And it's fine because it's just, you know, most likely it wasn't a very good photo anyways. Um, but, you know, if someone does approach me and, and have a problem with what I'm doing, I try to explain myself. Um, but it's just, you know, you know, I, I understand, you know, some people, you know, even though in America you have no expectation of privacy in a public place, I do understand, 
that it's invasive to be photographed without knowing it. And, and I, I totally understand why someone would be angry or, or upset and demand that you delete a photo. And of course I don't have to delete the photo. It's not, you know, if I you know, wanted to, you know, just, you know, you know, argue with the person, but the thing is like, what's the value in that for me? It's like, it's not, you know, you know, I'm just going to pretty much just create, you know, create conflict doing that. And, and then in the photojournalism world, a lot of times people are like, Hey, can I see those photos that you took of me today? And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll show them to you after publication because, you know, you know, actually it's another one of our little ethical boundaries at newspapers is that you're not supposed to show unpublished work to, to the general public. And, you know, like they don't let um, subjects read um, stories that are written before they're published because, you know, it's just, it just would make things too complicated. And, and also another issue with photojournalism is, and I just used the word, which I think is a horrible word. We call people we photograph and write about subjects, which is very condescending and demeaning. And, you know, we've had many conversations over the years at photo conferences of, of what's another word to use before being set of subjects, you know, sometimes we say collaborators or, you know, sometimes, you know, but it's, it's just hard to get out of, you know, the use of these words we've been using over and over again. And I think, you know, just in general society, you know, there's a lot of words too that like, like blacklist, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's, you know, you know, there's certain words that, that just um, are not, you know, kosher anymore. And, and so it's, you know, it's something in photography too, where we call someone a photo subject and, you know, we're trying to get away from that, but it's really hard to break those, those habits. Well, I, I think there's nothing personal about naming a person subject, which is still a tech, techie person somewhere inside of us. Uh, but uh, you, like, um, let me just ask, uh, you don't always show your shots to the people, right? Uh, then, you, then you do uh, photos on, on the streets. Yeah, like basically never. Um, although the times when people have like stop me and I've shown them the photo I've taken. Sometimes they'd be like, Hey, can you send that to me? You know? And so you know, th- those would be the only situations, but I, I really have no, no problem with it. And it'd be interesting. Like, you know, I have a book shooting from the hip, which I published like three or four years ago. And, you know, it, it's all street photography and with, you know, people didn't know they're being photographed. And it'd be interesting if anyone stumbled across the book and seen themselves in there. And if they did, like what their reaction would be. And, um, you know, the only kind of instance I've had of that was during uh, the first year of the pandemic. Um, when I had a lot of downtime, I bought a film scanner and I scanned in a lot of my early photojournalistic work. And there was a, a tornado in suburban Chicago in like 1991. And I scanned in a bunch of images. And on the anniversary of the tornado, I, I posted like, you know, eight or 10 of them on Facebook. And, and this, this, this child I photographed at the time who was like nine years old saw the photo and said, oh, my God, this, I can't believe this is me and my sister, you know, back. This was what, like, you know, 31 years ago. And, you know, can you send me copies of this? So, you know, they were just like, it was unbelievable to them, you know, that, um, you know, that, that this photo of them as a kid, you know, just being rescued from a tornado, you know, kind of popped up again on their, on their Facebook feed. And, you know, and, and I think that's like a whole nother thing that we, we, we fail to talk about sometimes with um, photography, photojournalism, street photography, is just kind of the historical aspect of it, that all of us are really creating historical archives 
of what the world around us looks like. And, and, I, and I know that like people think of photojournalism as history, as it's being made, but I don't think people think of street photography as historical very much either. But when you, you know, when people come across like Vivian Meyer's collection of street photography that, that was basically discovered because she never shared it with anyone, it was just like, wow, like look at Chicago and New York you know, back in the 50s and 60s. And, and you know, and, and so like a street photo I, I, I take today because I found the person visually interesting. Maybe in 30 years, it'll there'll be an, a business in the background that, that no longer exists or, you know, there'll be cars on the street that, that are 30 years old. And, and so I think the historical context of, of images is really important too. Because I tell young photo students, if they want to have a book eventually, just go around and take, you know, 50 very straightforward photos of their community, whether it just be the fronts of businesses or, you know, just cars parked in the street and, you know, and make, you know, 11 by 14 or 8 by 10 prints of them and then put those away and, you know, and then put, do not open until 2047. And then, you know, in 2047, you open them up, everybody like, oh my God, these are amazing photos. And, and so I think, you know, just the passing of time tends to make photos better too. So you know, I think there's that historical context of street photography that sometimes we don't think about unless we're looking at you know a post that says look at these 1970s color photos of new york you know and then it's like oh this is historical but when we're actually making them i don't think we kind of have that historical content in mind uh it's gonna have a question probably it's a silly question but still uh talking about disasters and photojournalism and the ethics uh because uh, when uh, well i guess the question is uh, when you need to stop being a observer and photographer and uh, start helping people let's say because you, you you know that shot right the, the vulture and little girl from 90s from carter then uh, there was the biggest question like should we take a picture or just stop it and just help someone so like what do you think about it and uh, have you guys discussed it a lot oh yeah for sure yeah that that that's tough but you know the thing is if, if i came upon a scene and and i could save someone's life i would try to save the person's life um but if it's a situation where there's emergency personnel already there you know i'm just going to make things worse you know i'm not a trained professional but yeah I, I do think that you have to be a human first and that if you can somehow save a life or impact someone's life in a positive way instead of making a photograph of it um that's um you know that's that, that's important but also you know, there's also like, you know, the Kevin Carter photo. Okay, so, you know, could he have saved that child? Was there someone there to save that child? Did him making that photograph save other children? You know, because he made that image, did it, did it move public opinion? Did it, you know, allow for people to decide to donate money to, to you know, help um, hunger in, in Africa? You know, and so it's very possible by photographing that child and, you know, he saved the lives of 100,000 children. You know, you just don't know. And so it's kind of hard. And, and I think that, you know, the backlash she got was so severe and so unwarranted and so unnecessary. Um, but, you know, I, I do understand, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what he could have done. But if there is a situation, though, like, you know, I don't you know. I, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's like, you know, if you see police brutality happening, you know, can you stop that? You know, is it 
can you rush in and try to like stop a police officer from from manhandling someone or is it more important to document that and, and try to create systemic and social change and um but yes i think in a moment where you can actually do something and no one else there can help you know definitely do that first but i do think that there is value you know, in, in sometimes documenting things that people don't want to see because there are things that people don't want to see that they need to see for sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Some pictures actually, they may stop uh, the disaster and save a lot of lives like this uh, uh, Vietnamese girl uh, in 1972 because this picture, I think, funny Kim, uh, I, don't, I don't remember what was the name of her this picture basically that stopped the war at the end but just the biggest question how do you save your mind while filming the tragedies like an example in Salgado and his career he almost destroyed himself by filming the wars and tragedies and uh, it took him years to recover so how do you save your mind doing things like that yeah well you know luckily I've kind of avoided covering like the worst of the worst. Um, there was a situation where I was supposed to go to Iraq in the early 2000s, but then, um, you know, something happened with my children's mother and, and then I all of a sudden became a single dad. And so I wasn't able to go to Iraq and, and, you know, in hindsight, maybe that's for good. You know, maybe something would have happened to me either physically or mentally while I was there that would have, you know, changed the rest of my life. But, um, you know, I have seen some not pleasant things in my life, but um, I guess, you know, just the way that I'm built that I kind of either compartmentalize that or I just kind of rationalize it or something. But um, I, I don't think I've ever regretted taking a photo um, that I, I probably shouldn't have, but, you know, I'd have to probably think of that a little bit more. But, you know, back, especially in when I was working at smaller newspapers, you know, we would have police scanners and fire scanners with us at all times. And we would rush off to every house fire, every car accident, you know, no matter how small it was, we, you know, we would document, you know, the, these, these kind of daily tragedies and stuff. And, and that got to be a drag that that was kind of part of my job because they're, you know, because it makes people feel worse. And I don't really see much benefit in, and photograph someone standing outside their house as it's burning, you know, with, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, just in their bathrobe or something. Um, because I don't think, you know, making that photograph is going to change anything. Um, you know, it's not like people are, you know, there's not going to be fires anymore just because I photographed a house fire. But, but that was more kind of part of the job. Um, but I do, you know, but the thing too is like if I was walking my dog today and a house is on fire, would I have that instinct to, to make a photo of it? I guess, cause that's what I do. And, um, so yeah, it, it is definitely a little bit of conflict in my head about it, but I guess, you know, I kind of don't think too much about it. And, um, but I, I know like other photographers, you know, who, especially ones who've shot war and, and famine and, you know, natural disasters, it's, it's, it's difficult to deal with. And, you know, I, I think more photographers should should get therapy um, if, if there's situations like that, that that they've gone through. 
Uh, th- thank you, Scott. Uh, again, the reason I'm asking because uh, for me it's very important to hear the professional on photojournalism. Uh, in 2015, I've been a witness and a photographer of, you know, of the this earthquake in Nepal, and uh, I've been filming for days. And actually, it took me a while to recover. And again. I just I simply cannot show it because there are out of strategies. Uh, and again, for me, it's very important to understand where there's a border between some shots I can show and some I still keep in my bookshelf. So, yeah, thank you for your opinion. It's, it's very important. Yeah. And it's also, too, it's like kind of what's the context of the images? You know, if you're if it's kind of, uh, you know, a historical anniversary of an event or if it's some sort of thing where it could help people. You know, I think that's super valid, but, you know, then, you know, but if it's just, you know, not saying you're doing this, but if someone just tries to sell it as an NFT to make money, you know, maybe I don't think that's so great. Although I know the blockchain is really a great historical, you know, vessel where the best images that we've ever made in our career should be on the blockchain because it's going to last forever. Um, but I think it's like, what is your motivation? If it's your motivation is just to make money off of it or, or for personal fame and glory, that's probably not so good. But if, but if it's, uh, you know, a way to, um, you know, kind of inform or educate or, or help people grieve or heal, you know, it's probably, you know, 100% fine to share them. There's so much that goes into it too, isn't there? there? I mean, Scott, it sounds like ever since you went to that uh, gallery ex- exhibition, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm never going to do anything else. Have you ever done anything else? Or is this from, from the <laughs> beginning? I mean, story no, it's, it's, like, it's, I'm a photographer through and through, but did you ever do anything else? No, no. It's like, oh. it's so, it's like I have a photo career and then I have a hobby, which is photography, you know, it's just like, so, um, you know, I did work for my dad's business for a little bit, which was just comical. One summer, he tried to have me deliver tires in a truck, and I think I, I crashed the truck into a railroad crossing. I like would constantly back it into buildings and stuff, and and so like he would just every time he would give me you know something to do that was manual labor, he would just roll his eyes because I was just not, yeah, not cut out to uh, you know you know I'll stand for fifteen hours someplace waiting to make a photograph, but you know, doing something, you know, you know, having me go mow my lawn. It's like, Oh no, you know, it's like, but yeah, no, pretty much photography has been my entire existence, you know, for money and, and for entertainment since uh, the late 1980s for sure. Nice. Nice. Well, I think you fell into the right career. I, in looking at your website, I've been peeking at your website, like as, as this conversation is going on and Oh my God, like you, that, that just, the work that you do is just amazing. I mean, I think in every every one of these like nuances of the genre of recording reality, whatever reality it is, whether it's you know real reality or a reality that you would like to have people pay attention to, um, amazing. No, I, I appreciate really that. Amazing. But the, you know, it's it's a total you know kind of um, result of working at a daily newspaper because we're every single day is different. You know, I'll, I'm a food photographer and then a portrait photographer, then a sports photographer, then a news photographer, you know, then back to a food photographer. And then I have to, you know, so it's just like, then I'm a nature photographer. So it's like every single day is, is something totally different, a new challenge. And, and so it, you know, I've always been one who's, who's learned by doing and, and, you know, you know, it's like, 
at this point, I've had conversations with other photographers who've been in the business for so long where, you know, you can walk into a room and you know, like 15 or 20 different photos you can make that'll be passable and good enough for the paper. And so you kind of get those out of the way. And then, then you can kind of try to work on something that that's a little more, you know, kind of sophisticated or, or you know, arty or something like that. But, but yeah, it's like, you know, it's all, you know, I, I do feel like I had some sort of, you know, gifts that were given me, just how I see the world or my personality or what it is. But, but I do feel like, you know, you know, I've pretty much been working five days a week for 35 years at this and stuff. So if I'm not good at it now, you know, it'd be kind of sad, I think. Yeah, for sure. You, you definitely got the 50,000 hours in or however many it takes. Um, so we have a couple of new speakers here um, that may have some questions or want to add into the conversation. I'd like to go, first of all, to Dave Yoder and just also um, invite anyone who's in our audience. Uh, if you have any questions for Scott or want to just kind of share with us uh, your own perspective on street photography or photojournalism or even as we were talking about uh, documentary photography, because uh, that kind of is like, you know, they're all sort of related um, and just add into the conversation we've got uh we've got time and we'd love to hear from you so dave let's hear from you what's going on today hey thanks pam and hey scott um i don't think scott and i we, we've chatted before i don't think we've ever actually met but I, I bet we've been in the same room together before we've got similar backgrounds i'm from fort wayne close to chicago and i also moved out to california um but, and did newspaper stuff the whole time. Um, but I, I wanted to uh, first uh, quickly address the Kevin Carter photo. Um, I didn't know him, but uh, I, I had friends who knew him. And uh, and having read an interview with him as well, um, it's it seemed, as I recall, uh, the problem at the time that he was photographing was so vast that, that there was nothing that he as a single person could have done uh, for the child, you know, in the picture with the with the vulture, and he's he basically said it was just such a big problem that I took the picture and I moved on, and and that you know I, I don't think it was mentioned earlier. He he did eventually commit suicide, um, and a lot of the speculation was uh, that it had to do with uh, the the criticism received over over that photograph, but. In photojournalism, it happens all the time where photojournalists intervene to help uh, people in distress, whether they're wounded or they need help. Um, I mean, I, I know of too many, you know, firsthand accounts, uh, and I've done it myself, that that uh, to, to even recount. Like, you know, a friend of mine, Randy Olson, repurposed his flight into Sudan to... Uh, to, to evacuate some wounded soldiers. Um, I think I remember a picture of Christopher Morris and some other people uh, carrying uh, a, a, a wounded a person who'd just been shot, you know, to get medical help. Um, it, it just happens all the time. So, you know, it's not like photojournalism is a religion uh, with the borders that you can't cross it. Um, you know, uh, I, I think we're all, we're all humans first. And that is recognized by the best of the photojournalists and, 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 and the photojournalists who, who are like, well, you know, you can't cross this boundary. You can't become involved in the story 
are a little bit off the rails. Um, and and the other the other thing that I wanted to mention is the uh, my perspective on the whole word of uh, the whole usage of the word subject. It seems to me like that's kind of like confusing the the grammatical term subject with the colonialist term subject. Um, because if 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 we if we stop uh, referring to the subjects of a photograph, then uh, it would seem to me that that you have to stop referring to the subject of a story or the subject of a study or the subject of this or that. And that, those are all grammatical conventions. And I think that applies to photography as well. And it has nothing to do with, you know, the, the previous uh, colonial um, uh, use of the word subject. Um, oh, and, and the last, uh, just real quick, the last thing I wanted to mention as an example, going back to uh, photojournalists, you know, and, and, and human ethics. Um, when I was at Perpignan, uh, which is uh, Visa pour Limage in Perpignan, I, I usually go every year. It's the big photojournalism festival. Um, and uh, I was like sitting at La Poste, which is the, the bar everybody goes to in the afternoon and this, this utterly uh, surrounded by probably a hundred photojournalists, you know, it's where everybody goes. And this horrific event happened where um, uh, a girl jumped off of the castle right beside where everybody was drinking uh, and committed suicide in front of everybody. And um, the response uh, is absolutely horrific. And the response amongst all these photographers, all of whom had cameras, was that whoever knew CPR, uh, I think it was a Dutch photographer who, who had been trained as, as a medic, jumped in and, and, and uh, tried to revive her. Um, and out of all of those photojournalists, not a single one of them uh, took any pictures. And, and I think it was because of, you know, because it was obviously not the right thing to do. Um, so I, I don't think that, uh, I think that there is far more humanitarian uh, sentiment going into photojournalism than, than this detached idea of, of what photojournalism is and who photojournalists are. And anyway, thanks. Well, those are all really salient and great points, Dave. And, and thanks for the uh, make me feel less bad about using photo subject. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Dave. Yeah, that's actually it's very, very good comment. And uh, yeah, I, I knew about he commits suicide, and yeah, just didn't mention it. But still, uh, his work uh, probably the most known uh, as a uh, as a, like raising question like when should we stop taking pictures or shall we or not and uh, and again there is no answer on this and uh, even though you cannot help sh should you take a picture or not and there, and again um, uh, th this shot is part of the history nowadays but still um, I agree it's, it's still the question is still open and I'm really glad uh, those uh, people didn't take even a single shot of this lady um, yeah thanks. Yes, thank you so much for that um, addition into the conversation. Um, and uh, let's move on and pass the mic to Teresa. How are you doing today, Teresa? 
I'm fine. And if I remember correctly, it's Pam, isn't it? Yes, this is Pam. <laughs> yeah. I hope my, I hope my voice is still okay. I've, I, I've um, kept quiet over the weekend. Um, so, yeah, but it's great to see you here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, hey, Scott. Hey, how are you doing, Therese? Good to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I got su surprised when I came to know that Scott speaks a little Swedish, or at least understands. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, I was uh, I was married to a Swedish woman for uh, seven years and made many trips to Stockholm and Gothenburg. And so, uh, yeah, but it's a difficult language for sure to learn. But my my daughter, my, my oldest daughter, she actually studied Swedish at UCLA. So she she took a little bit further than I did. Ah, that's nice. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, I must first say I really like this collection of uh, pictures that you are showing at Slika. Really, really love it. And I wanted to ask you, there also I, I like the conversation you guys have been having here. Uh, a lot of the thoughts around photography and how you use it, use it and in which context. And yeah, the, the question about truth, but also as you were talking about the how image importance can change over time, something I deal myself with a lot since I got started uh, quite early as you. But anyway, I was curious uh, first about... Uh, the fact that I've seen a lot of great photographs by you when you're shooting um, sports, uh, people in action movement, uh, because uh, why I'm fascinated by, by that is because when I um, try to do more personal projects, um, I've been shooting a lot of ob objects that are standing still, was to um, um, have, have a challenge like photographing dancers and uh, street dancers, athletes, uh, fighters, and such. And I'm curious, your experience with shooting so much sport, do you think that specific to capture a movement is very usable for you when you do your street photography? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's actually one of the, the skills that I've developed that's most helpful in street photography. Um, you know, I think for me, just my process... You know, because I have the camera, you know, or the iPhone at my hip, one, I'm able to like kind of scan the whole scene while I'm walking down the street. And and then I just kind of see moments come together. You know, I see, okay, I see this person is coming here and they're going to make a really good photo, I think. And so I wait till they're in, in a spot where either there's another person or the background is right or they're doing, you know, something and it, it's peak action. So I, I do feel that, you know, kind of, you know, as, you know, Brisson said, you know, the decisive moment, um, you know, it's kind of, I, I think I'm trained at getting that peak action in sports photography so I can also capture peak action in daily life. And, um, you know, and it's like, you know, one of the things that I, I, I haven't mentioned, which sort of fits into this is, you know, for me, the iPhone photography and the fact that I'm just pushing a button on my hipstamatic app without any controls is kind of a, a rebellion against, you know, having to set the shutter speed or set the, um, um, you know, aperture and things like that. And so I think, you know, having, you know, the ability to, um, you know, not do that sometimes affects stopping of action because, you know, sometimes my, 
my my phone will decide to shoot something at a quarter of a second in the middle of the day for some reason, you know. And and so I have been cheating a little bit lately, cheating in my in in my world of of setting the shutter speed on the Hipstamatic app, which you can do because I was tired of getting everything being blurry. But but I do think sports photography for sure, you know, has been a great training ground for me for all aspects of photography because you know there is peak action in every single there's peak action in food photography really you know it's just like there's always one little bit moment that's a little bit nicer than the others because you know which seems weird but but food is alive and it's constantly changing when you're photographing it and so just kind of you're know, getting that 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 best moment uh, so i think that's a really kind of very smart um observation on your point because you know i do think that you know, even doing, you know, still photography, you know, having, you know, kind of action photography skills even translates to that. Yeah, nice to hear, Scott. Um, the other question uh, I was curious about is um, when I've been listening in the different spaces, um, I picked up that several talk about um, documentary photography as the almost like the big next thing when it comes to in the art context do do you have any thoughts around that well i still think people are reticent of having a photo of a stranger on their wall you know i still think that it's it's something that people really don't want to do um as you'll notice from this collection it's kind of wasn't intentional but many of the photos in 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 this in my street photography overall and in this collection in general you can't see the people's faces you know and or there's motion or something like that and and I, I do feel that sometimes when you give too much reality in a photograph you know people aren't allowed to kind of interpret their life into it and you know so it, it's difficult like you know one of my you know, favorite projects I've done my entire life is called Common Ground, which, you know, I've, I've had in this space and I, I sell NFTs of it. But it, you know, it, when it comes down to it, it's like a pair of old farmers and some suburban people. And, and sometimes I think people don't want to collect that or, or put that on their wall because it's just, it's too real, you know. So I do feel that, you know, there's kind of two reasons that photojournalism isn't super successful in the NFT space. And, and one, I think, is that reason because people don't want either, you know, news events or, um, you know, just kind of everyday people in their collections. But also, you know, a totally different reason is that a lot of photojournalists either work for newspapers or magazines or the freelance photographers. They don't have the, the rights to sell these images and you know like every photo i take for the san francisco chronicle they own the images now i'm allowed to put them in my portfolio i'm allowed to um you know kind of use them to further my career but you know i can't you know go to um you know a news event that the chronicle assigns me and then turn around and make nfts out of them because i don't own them um so i think a lot the reason that there's not a lot of photojournalists in the space is that I think a lot of them don't own a lot of work. Now, the difference between me and, and other people, I think, is that like I'm constantly creating work. So I have all these personal projects that I've been working on for decades, you know, that I'm able to kind of dig back into my archive. And, and then I've done a couple um, projects just for NFTs now that I've done on my, my own time with my own cameras. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, I think the photojournalist at times is, is too busy 
you know, working and having a, a career and, and they don't, you know, have the time to have all these little side projects that, that for some reason I've made time for. Thank you for, you're so well-spoken, Scott, and you're so thoughtful. Um, I came to think of another aspect that I wanted to ask you, since you were mentioning uh, this image that you had taken way back. Um, when you look at NFT as a tool or a, or, or, or a form of um, showcasing your work, how much for you is the importance of um, that as you were talking about the time document it, it can be because my own thoughts are uh, I come to realize that my uh, some of my photographs since I've been shooting um, a lot of creative people's work and what they're doing they become over time time documents and for me it's not the important thing for me isn't that the memory of me, it's more about the memory of those people in the image, which are a, a, a document of time. I had a designer who passed away and I realized that some of my photographs could help to tell her story as a fashion designer here in Sweden. And the importance it can have for others, it was made clear for me. Have you any thoughts of, of those images that you more control that are not your um, images for the magazine? Uh, those aspects, are those interesting for you in your work or how you want to move within this space? Yeah, that's fascinating. I've never really thought of that, you know. And, and, and actually, like, the work that I do, it's kind of a waste because I would say 99.9999% of the work I've ever created has never been seen it was just either gone with whatever you know technology is is obsolete now or is just like the negatives that were thrown away or were left at my other works or you know or just you know now when i go to an assignment and i photograph 3000 images and four of them make it in the newspaper it's like there's this incredible you know, I think every photographer is like that. So there's this incredible vastness of, of images out there that probably have a lot of great value in other people's lives, um, but they, they don't hold value for us. And, and so, you know, I know there's really hard, no way to get these images back to the, the people, you know, that I photographed 20, 30 years ago. But I've definitely made a little bit of a, you know, you know, kind of an effort when people reach out to me, um, like after I photograph them asking for the images that I made of them, I will try to go back and, and send them a pretty wide take of the photos I've taken because, you know, one, they're going to be of no value really to the, the newspaper for me later in my career. But for them, it's like, well, this was when I was in the newspaper or this was like, you know, when I was involved in something important. And so I know that these will be like keepsakes for their entire families, maybe for generations to come where for me, there's absolutely no value to them. So, so I wish there was kind of a, almost a clearinghouse of places, you know, where people can kind of, you know, search for images of themselves. I don't know how it would be done. I guess it's a technology that needs to be invented, but um, it definitely, you know, is fascinating just kind of looking back in time and, you know, like just that instance from that 1990 tornado, just the fact that that little kid who's now an adult somehow came across this photo and meant so much to him and his family. So, yeah, it definitely is something I, I, I probably should think more of, but, you know, I'm not sure, like, what, how to actually 
you know, make it work. Uh, great answers. Um, I, I'll stop there. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, and good luck with uh, this uh, collection. I really love it. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Nice chat with you. Yes, thanks for joining us, um, and uh, we would we would love to hear from anyone else who has questions or wants to um, talk with Scott about anything. I know we had another speaker up here. We lost them. Uh, it might have just been a rugging situation, so please come back if you are still here. Um, I think anyway, what yeah. it is is I give five-minute answers to every question. I think that's what runs, runs people away. That's so great, though. I mean, I, I absolutely love this conversation, and... Love those five-minute answers. Um, yeah, I, me, me too, actually. I, I love your answers. I can sit and listen for four hours. Just please keep going. Yes, exactly. Um, so I had I had some other questions. These are... Um, so uh, it's... Okay, like which one do I start with? I have so many written down. I, I got the idea that, um, you know, when you were talking about uh, that your advice to someone is like, oh, if you want to create a book, you know, go out and just photograph, you know, this sort of your, your neighborhood and um, put them away for 20 years. And then later it'll be like this time capsule kind of, um, uh, you know, collection of, of what life used to be. Um, I thought that was a really cool, uh, really cool assignment that someone could take on and, and probably accomplish um, fairly easily. I, I myself remember shots that I took in Chicago growing up and, you know, printed them myself and um, I've got them in a box, you know, like those um, boxes where you keep your, your prints so that they don't get uh, messed up. <laughs> and I actually didn't keep them in storage or anything. I'm like, kept them with me. So I might dig through those and see, you know, I remember taking pictures of like the weird uh, telephone wires and beat up garbage cans and stuff like that and kids that I met in the street. And so kind of wonder if I'd find any of those people now nowadays. But um, I did have a question. Um, like with your your work um, as going out and shooting any assignment that your editor sends to you, you know, like um, whether it's, you know, a brand new restaurant opening, so you have to shoot food or, you know, a sports team, it, uh, you know, playing playing the games and whatever. Um, do, when you travel, like when you go on vacation, <laughs> um, do you consider, like, are you still taking photos? Do you, do you switch into, like, this travel photography mode? Or are you always still on as, you know, and um, are you still pursuing this, like, artistic um, capture with every frame? Or do you ever just be like, hey, snapshot, selfie? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do, I'll do a, a small percentage of photographs of my, my life and, and the people in my life. But, you know, my kids will, will, will tell you that this is true. When we go on vacations or went on vacations, I would like to photograph other people on vacation. Like I was more interested in the other people, what they were doing on their vacations than, than me on my vacation. And, and so, yeah, I, I do find at times vacation as just a new exciting place to do more photography. And, you know, so like my girlfriend and I, we have a trip planned. We're going to go to Hawaii and um in, in August. And of course, you know, I'm already like, is it okay if I bring a 400 millimeter lens? Cause I want to shoot some, uh, you know, abstract ocean images while we're there. And of course, you know, she's, she's very understanding and, and, you know, she's, you know, she walks along with me at times when I do street photography and, and is not bothered by it. So, so I appreciate that greatly, but yeah, it's, it's like when I'm, when I'm 
someplace else for me it's just like oh look at all these amazing wonderful things to photograph and and like i'm like i'm not a fan of pretty photos at most times like for me the worst time of the year is when there's a full moon because then there's going to be like a trillion full moon photos on instagram and i'm like oh no you know it's just like i just you know unless there's something interesting in the foreground you know i'm just like i don't want to see another red blood moon photo or something like that unless of course i took it then it would be brilliant and then i would share it widely but um you know other people's moon photos i'm not that interested in and you know i i just i like I think all the photos I enjoy need to have some sort of human element to them. Like if a person's not in it, that's fine. As long as there's like the, the remnants of something a person had done, you know, I, I do like, you know, scenes with no people in it, but it's only because it's like of a business or a parking lot or just something that has, you know, something that I can kind of gleam a little bit of uh, um, interest from, you know, what, what people do on earth and stuff. So I, I definitely am a, a a humanist ph- photographer and it's all about people. So whenever I go places and there's a lot of people, it's like, it's really hard to turn off that instinct to just, you know, document. So, so it is nice to, to travel with people who are a little more like, Hey, put your camera down. Let's go do something. You know, I kind of need that. I need to be jolted back into reality. <laughs> back into reality, <laughs> which is what you're, what you're shooting at all times. It sounds like, um, you mentioned like in the, it was, I don't know if it was the nineties when everyone was like slanting their horizons, you know, tilt right, tilt left or things like that. Um, are there any trends that you're finding, um, like visual trends that, um, that are emerging in like today's day and age? I, I always, I always watch the, um, what is it like, um, Getty or someone at the, at the beginning of the year, they're like, here are visual trends that you might be starting to see, you know, for brands to look at back when I was working with ad agencies um you know it's like here's here's the like visual trends that you'll see emerging um are there any visual trends that you're seeing in images that are either you're puzzled by or really critical of um in these days um well yeah i think i mentioned earlier just about how people now are stepping back a little bit um and you know and, and also like one of the interesting trends i think over the recent years which has kind of maddened me a bit is that photos that have flaws in them, which I have plenty of, um, or just really messy or or very kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, amateurish are becoming very popular. And it's like, how, like for me, it's like, how do I take photos that are, are worse than I want them to be? you know, because it's, it's kind of in vogue now. And so it's just, you know, I know it's not an overriding trend, but I've seen it at times where, you know, people are like, oh, I love this photo because it's so real. It's so raw, you know, which, you know, sometimes just equivalent, you know, equates to it's bad, you know, but, oh, you know, so it's like, I think that's like, for me, is the most maddening thing in the NFT space, to be honest. And it's kind of petty and, and kind of shitty. But like when I see work that's not up to my, like what I think is good work, selling you know it's just like oh man like you know one it's great for us it's great for all of us it's great if all photography sold so i know that so i know intellectually that these are all good things but then just for me you know as a as a creator is 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 a you know kind of a competitor you know like i i i sometimes i'll be like my photo's better than that how come mine didn't sell you know and it might be the same exact time as genre and stuff and i know it's just me just kind of being 
you know, you know, being, you know, not, not the best I can be, but, but it's still truthfully, you know, something that I see all the time is just like, you know, you know, well, back in my day, you know, you'd have to be good to sell photographs, you know, whatever, you know, so it's, it's just, you know, interesting, but not to say that there isn't an immense amount of talent out there. And that's, you know, one thing that the NFT space has really kind of, you know, shown me over and over again is just how much talent there is in the world. And, and, and there's so many amazing photographers and, you know, it's like, you know, it, it is, it is all good when, when any of us sell work, but, but it's hard to not to, to be a little bit jealous at times. I guess that affects everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks, thanks for that. Thanks for weighing in on that. Um, we brought Tyler to the stage. How's it going, Tyler? Hey, sorry, y'all. I was uh, looking at this collection, um, but just gorgeous. <laughs> right? Yeah, gorgeous collection, Scott. I really love this. I love people repurposing their older works, and I see a lot of that happening right now in uh, photography space, and I think it's so fucking cool. These are historical. We're talking about photography, street photography versus photojournalism. Well, I think this is both because it's street photography on the Hipstamatic app in 2011 and 2012 and um, in the beginning of Instagram's infancy, right? So I think it has a very documentary aspect to it as well. It's a, hist it's a historical work. Um, I'm sure many of us in here wish that we were shooting on the Hipstamatic app in 2011 and posting every day on Instagram, but most of us in here as photographers were not. You know, we came much later, and so I want to tip my hat to you because that's a you're an OG I've been on Instagram for a very long time and I I've met a lot of people that were kind of those OGs that started in 2011 2012 posting artistic photography using hipstamatic and other apps like that and you guys were the the the, the genesis um for lack of a better word of that happening you guys were the four the forerunners the the pioneers um of that movement that started bringing artistic photography over from Flickr and other legacy sites and starting to put it on instagram and um it's it, it all of a sudden became artsy and not just pictures of food and sunsets and families and doggies and cats right um so i just want to tip my hat to you scott like that's really really cool collection i'm looking through it right now and i think the idea is super cool i love that they're dated as well um so when you click on the images you can see like each year that they were taken i love that aspect of it as well i think that makes it way stronger to see that description of hipstamatic instagram 2011 it places a lot of context in my mind as a photographer so really really strong collection dude i wish you the best oh i appreciate that tyler yeah it's uh it, it's funny. It's like, I'm a 58 year old who thinks they're 22. You know, it's just like, I, I just can't imagine that I'm almost 60 years old. It just, I cannot compute that in my brain, but you know, it's like, but it is like all the young photographers in this space just really keep me pushing forward and trying to stay relevant and evolving. So, so I appreciate that input, but yeah, it, it is, you know, like that's the one thing I have. I have so much work, you know, that's just laying around and, and so it's, you know, it's nice to, you know, the NFT space has given me an excuse to kind of, you know, do a little show and tell of, of what I was doing before you guys were born. I can't wait to see the other stuff you got in the archive, man. But yeah, this is a beautiful collection. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler, for being here. And feel free to hang out if you want, if, the, if you have more questions that come up. Um, also, anyone who, you know, we've got time uh, to 
Well, we do. I know, uh, Scott, I want to be cognizant of your time. I know we kind of set this up as a two hour window. Uh, are you still doing okay? Time? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Like I, of... I have to okay. be at a winery in Napa at 2 PM. So oh. I, I have, I have a, a good, another hour and a half or so. Oh, but the drive across the bridge, or are you already across the bridge? Yeah, I'm already across the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so okay. I, I just, it's about an hour, uh, hour north of me. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned in our last phase, like Scott and I have lived in the same places at different times, but, um, yeah, I, I grew up in Chicago as well. And, uh, um, and then spent time some other places and ended up in San Francisco for a while. Uh, so yeah, I have a little cognizance of, of what it takes to get up to Napa. That's why I didn't go very often because I lived on the city side of the bridge. <laughs> yeah, You're just I don't, like, oh, I have to cross the bridge. Never mind. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't like Napa for me has a really weird vibe to it. I, I prefer Sonoma. So that's just that's all I've gleaned in my eight years here is that I, I don't like Napa for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Sonoma's cool. Sonoma's cool. Well, I hope I hope that it's a good assignment. So will it be food assignment, food and wine? No. So basically the, you know, this is what I get. I get my assignment, go to this Mandavi winery in Napa. The, the, the story angle is that these traditional wineries are kind of falling by the wayside of, of kind of new startups. And so what are these kind of old guard wineries doing to try to stay relevant in, in today's climate. So I have no idea. I'm, I'm assume I'm going to go there. It's going to be a, me photographing people tasting wine and photographing their beautiful vineyards and some art. And that'll be about it. I'm not sure how I'm going to make this work, but we'll see. That, well, I wish you all the luck in the world. Um, and just another question about like how you say when you go out on assignment, you know, you don't own those photos. You can't do anything with those um, on your own other than display them in your portfolio. Um, do you, it, like, is it um, any camera that you take with you on assignment? So like you can't go on assignment and shoot your hipstamatic, like, oh, these are my photos on the hipstamatic. And then those are the newspaper's photos on the other camera. Okay, let me scan the room to see if I have any editors in the room. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, so, so it's a little bit of a gray area there. So I operate under the um, idea that if I make a photograph with my my phone on Hipstamatic app on company time, I own that photo. That's That might not be the truth, but I think it's a don't ask, don't tell situation right now at my newspaper. So um, so I think they're fine. I, I, I don't know. I, no one's ever said anything either way. Um, but on a normal day, when I have a little bit of downtime, you know, I will I will go out and do street photography on company time, you know? So it's like, do I own that? Do they own that? It's like, can they, do they know, you know, will they look at the timestamp and go back and say, well, you were on company time then. So, so I think it's just kind of, I create so much photography that it would be a full-time job for them to, uh, to sit there and try to figure out who owns what, but, you know, you know, like, and so like I have, you know, this whole collection of, of hipstamatic stuff that I've shot, you know, at sporting events too. And so, and also I have a lot of old sports photography too, that from like a newspaper that's defunct. And I don't know IP wise, like who, like, can I sell my 1990s bull stuff as an NFT? You know, I've seen other photographers sell it, but if I do it, is NBA going to come get me? Or if I try to sell a, a hipstamatic photo of Steph Curry from a, a, a Warriors game, you know, is, is the, 
you know, the copyright police going to get me? I don't know. You know, so I've kind of like been taking a wait and see attitude about my sports photography and like my Oakland Coliseum stuff. Like I, I would like to sell that as NFT someday, but I'm just not sure, you know, so I'm trying not to be too aggressive with what I sell. Um, but you know, a lot of the, you know, hipstamatic stuff, um, that I have too, I, I shot while I was at the Chicago Tribune. So, but they're owned by a hedge fund now. So like, who's going to like step up and say, you're taking money from a hedge fund, you know, because you know, they're the enemy now, these hedge funds have been buying up newspapers and kind of firing people and, and bleeding as much money out of them as they can. So, so maybe that'll be to my advantage someday, but there is so much gray area for what I do and who owns what, just because, you know, I'm constantly, I'm photographing something a minute before I get off work and then a minute after I get off work and it's like, you know, who can tell the difference? Yeah. Well, I didn't mean to get you in any trouble with the question. It was just one of those curiosity ones. Oh no, that, I think my, my, I think my editors are, are, are well aware of, uh, um, so like my, my, my director of photography um, at my paper, Nicole Fouché, um, she's a fantastic editor and former photographer. And like her, her wife, Preston Ganaway, has a, a collection that um, she just dropped on Quantum a couple of weeks ago. So Preston and I talk a lot about NFTs. So Nicole is very aware of my NFTs and things like that. So, so I think at this point, there's no reason for them to to be bitchy about it. But, but the thing is when I was at the Chicago Tribune, I remember I went to Philadelphia to do um, basketball playoffs. The bulls were playing the Sixers. And while I was there, I went to South Philly and I did this whole series of street photography. This was back in 2012 when I was just like going crazy. And um, I made a blur book, you know, and I made three copies of the blur book and I put, um, on Facebook. Hey, I was in South Philly and I made a blurb book of my street photography. I got two extra copies. If anyone wants to buy them, you know, just let me know. And I, I literally got a cease and desist letter from my director of photography at the Tribune CCing like the publisher, you know, the top editor, the corporate lawyers, you know, it's like, come on, you know, like that's a little much. Why don't you just say, Hey dude, that this isn't cool. Don't do this. But seriously, a cease and desist letter. So it's like some of these, you know, the, the Chronicle's not like this, but when I was at the Tribune, there was just a lot of corporate, you know, kind of, you know, stuff that, that wasn't fun and, and just seemed a little overbearing. But yeah, that was kind of shocking to get this cease and desist letter for, for two copies of a blurb book that I was trying to sell. <laughs> that is a little overkill, I think, but I don't know. I guess I agree. I, I agree. To do. <laughs> yes, true, true, true. Um, so we have Nate up here. He might have a question for you. Hey, Nate, how's it going? Hello. Great, great conversation. Really good to hear Scott's perspective. And this collection legitimately makes me miss San Francisco, man. Like, uh, I rarely miss San Francisco anymore, but like being able to see the photos through these years, like it, uh, it reminds me of, of the beautiful age of that city. Like it's, I don't know, it's hard to put it into words. It's almost nostalgic. I lived there from, from, uh, Oh nine to 14. And, um, it's just not the same anymore. And like, it, it, and it's such a, it's such a wonderful place to shoot street. Like there's always something going on on every corner, every street. It, it's, uh, congrats, man. You, you captured it beautifully. 
I appreciate that, Nate. Yeah, San Francisco is an interesting place. It's it's uh, it, it it's a battle every day when I'm in in the town. You know, I always feel like I have to have my head on a swivel because it it it's uh, it, it's a dangerous place, um, especially if you have a camera. But it's also at the same time beautiful, and and there's so many beautiful people, and it's just it's like it's like New York if you took New York into a blender and kind of you know it's just every like every two blocks it's a totally different vibe and a, a different feel that's why it's great so it's great for street because you can you can you know spend one day and pretty much cover almost the entire city that's that's walkable so yeah San Francisco is definitely one of the most uh, fascinating uh, cities in the world for for many many reasons so I um, do want to make a comment on the topic of this room, street photography versus photojournalism. Um, I find that to be interesting because I don't really see a distinction except for assignment, to be honest. Uh, I, I kind of view street as journal as photojournalism, uh, but you are the one giving yourself the assignment or you go out with no assignment just to see what's there, right? Like. Uh, yeah, that's super valid for sure. I think for me, the difference is just the context where, you know, for photojournalism, you have to have a caption and you have to write about what the photo is about. And, uh, you know, where for me, street photography is perfectly valid just to put San Francisco 2012 and that's all I got to put, you know. And so you know, I think for me, having that, you're not having to put my journalist hat on. Is, is a relief because, you know, you have to, you know, do a lot of extra work when you're a photojournalist. So, so I do think, you know, photojournalism versus street photography is just a little clickbaity, you know, we had to bring some people into the room, but, um, but, but it definitely, I, I do think that they're more alike than, than, than not alike. Um, but, you know, for me, it is just that, you know, and I know, uh, um, Omar and I've had this discussion many times and I, and I try to simplify it by saying, you know, photojournalism, you're making a photo and in street photography, you're taking a photo. And, and so, you know, the word take is a little bit too dramatic, but, but for me, there is that, that just difference of uh, objective and subjective. And, um, but yeah, for me, I love, I love not having to get names and captions, you know, cause that's what I do every day for the newspaper. So it's just a relief to walk around and make photos and, and that's all I have to do. But, but yeah, those are valid points you're making though. So I just want to add one more note. Um, a few people who were in here earlier, um, but are currently not anymore, um, and I are working on a a uh, blockchain photo. Well, a blockchain journalism platform. We are. I mean, it's in a. It's basically it's an idea that I had for a while. I can't be the only one that's been thinking about it. Um, but uh, thanks to people that I've met in spaces like this, it's uh, it's starting to happen. It's coming together. Um, and the whole idea is to, to keep the source on chain so you can point right back to it. And like you'd mentioned before, you know, you have these regulations with, you know, what editing can be done, like as minimal as possible. You can't change the story. You can't tell someone to do something for a photo. Right. So like being able to keep, you know, everyone accountable, hopefully with blockchain as that source and like the trackable uh, publication record, I think is uh, really valuable, especially in today's age of of so-called news reporting. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to throw that idea out there. And if anyone is interested in in working with us, um, please get a hold of me. 
because the more the merrier. And um, I think, uh, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I think it's a good idea. Yeah, that's that's the part of the NFTs that like the curatorial part of it. And, you know, that, you know, that I, I don't think about a lot. You know, I know that there is a lot of DAOs and stuff like that who are kind of almost creating a museum of NFT photography. And I, and I love that concept. And, um, you know, so I, I think that is, you know, and, and I think like most people, you know, I got into the NFT space because I wanted to make a little extra money. You know, there wasn't any sort of hives thing like I want to preserve my images forever. You know, it's like I, I just wanted a little extra cash. But now that I'm here. You know, there's so much more to it. You know, there's, you know, of course, the social aspect. There's, you know, being exposed to people's work. There's, you know, you know, kind of collaborating with people and, you know, being part of collections and being part of marketplaces, which is which is really cool. And, it, you know, I still want to make some extra cash. But but those other things kind of really make it worthwhile when I'm not selling anything. Sounds really cool. It sounds like a really cool project, Nate. Um, thanks for sharing and thanks for being part of our conversation. And yeah, the nostalgic San Francisco is real, isn't it? <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, I, I, it I takes me back. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there's Chicago and San Francisco are such beautiful cities. And um, I, I really, I really encourage everyone to take a look at, at Scott's um, series on Sloika. Um, that we have pinned to the top. Please share it out there. Um, I had an I had another question, Scott, and this goes back to um, just how you stay creative. Like you said, you had to you had an assignment where um, they're going to build a building on an empty lot. You're like, okay, great. So it's a big. They're going to dig a hole, then they're going to fill in the holes. <laughs> and how do you cover that story? You get you get on you get on um, location, and you're like, okay, there's ten photos that could be made. So you make all those and then how do you push yourself to get that creative one that, um, that, you know, pleases the editors to the, you know, that you brought the creative um, angle in on this story that, you know, how could it ever be visualized? Yeah, I think, you know, the whole key is how much time you want to put into it. Um, you know, honestly, I, I get lazy at times and I don't give it a hundred percent effort sometimes when the assignments are like there doesn't seem to be any visual possibilities, but you know, the more time you just kind of hang out at an area, the more interesting things you notice or you see, or you can kind of see, Oh, this might be a nice angle from if I, if I knocked on this person's door and asked them if I could go up on their, their roof and photograph it or something like that. So I think it, you know, a lot of it, you know, is just how much, how much, you know, effort I want to put into it. And, you know, the, the thing I love about having a staff photojournalism job, is I can turn my brain off for a month or two. You know, I don't, you know, it may not be the best thing ever, but when I need time to kind of, you know, recharge my batteries, you know, I can, you know, I, I think that, you know, when I give something a normal effort, I'm going to, you know, create some images that, that are, are publishable, you know, but it, it just, you know, there are certain days when I'm a lot more motivated and I spend a lot more time. So I think, it, you know, it's all just kind of my my battle with myself of, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself and have my name under a bad photo in the newspaper. So I'll always at least try to make something good. But, you know, to get to that great level, sometimes you have to spend a lot of time or come back when the light is different or or just, you know, just kind of communicate with the writer and 
um, which which I'm also bad at too. I sometimes I I'm too much of a lone wolf where I I don't really want to communicate with with the editors or the writers. I just want to go out and do my do my thing and and but uh, but yeah, I, you know, some days I'm a really good journalist. Some days I'm I'm a little lazy. Yeah, I can I can see where that would happen. Um, I and um, just a, a note about what you were saying earlier and what Nate was asking about too. Um, you know, like the the um, responsibility to follow up and write a caption about you know for a photo that needs to be used in the newspaper or in some other digital media. You know, the caption is the thing that um, that's always looked like. Oh, <laughs> I have to go up and track the person down. Um, get the get the details and all of that um do you actually write your own caption or do you kind of get the um get the basics down and let and editors you know fill it out or are you responsible for the whole caption yeah but you know back when i first started out in newspapers there used to be copy editors and people who would rewrite the captions but now pretty much all the time whatever I write under that photo goes directly into the paper or directly online. And, 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 you know, all my, you know, you know, not really spelling errors, but more just kind of typos, you know, if I, you know, accidentally spelled the T E H, you know, I'll look in the, on the website the next day and it says T E H under the photo, you know, cause no one's checking anymore. You know, I think it's just a lot of the, the systems are automated and they just kind of stick a photo in and it pops up on the internet. So, so yeah, like I, you know, I need to be responsible pretty much a hundred percent for the captions and, and cause it's, that's pretty much how it's going to appear, which, which is kind of silly. Cause you know, I'm not, I'm not a trained writer, you know, I think I've, I've got some skills, but you know, but you know, that's the way the newspaper business is now where, you know, instead of a hundred people doing the job, there's now 20 people doing the same job. So it, it, it definitely is not ideal, but, um, it, you know, there are, there are worse jobs out there in the world. So I'm not complaining. Very cool. Um, well, I think we're going to wrap this up in about 10 minutes just to give Scott time to, um, get onto his next thing. Um, and also just give us a chance to, if there's any other people in the audience who would like to ask a question or, um, or, you know, tell us your own philosophy. How do you differentiate between street photography and photojournalism in your own mind, or even street photography versus documentary photography? You know, like we, we did talk about the subtle difference there. Um, and I, I, um, I just had another, a couple of more questions for Scott until we get, and as, as we're getting close to wrapping up, but I think I know the answer to this, but um, do you find that you see everything photographically all the time or do you ever turn it off? I mean, I know you said like when you're on vacation, your girlfriend's like, okay, let's like not think about cameras. Let's like go do something like have lunch or something. Or do you, are you always um, looking around you at all times with this like photographic um, eye at all times? Well, well, I'm always seeing things from a photographic eye. Like I, I'm, I, I'm always seeking out something that's visually interesting you know but as for the the action of photography i'm either 100 percent on or 100 percent off like i can't do it halfway you know i can't if i'm going to go out hang out with some friends at a bar like i'm uh, like i totally am off like i would wouldn't even like bring out my phone maybe just to do like a, a, a drunken selfie at some point but you know it's like i, I don't want to you know it's hard for me to 
to, to kind of split my mind between, you know, enjoying something and, and then also documenting it because when I'm documenting something, I just get a little, little narrow focused, you know, I got the blinders on and that's all I'm interested in is the photography part. So, so there, you know, there is, you know, plenty of time in my day. I'm much better now, actually, you know, I, since, since I moved to California and I live in a, a really beautiful part of the world, I spent a lot of time, you know, hiking and, and just doing things other than photography. But, you know, it is, that's why it's so great to have a phone in my pocket where if there is something real quick, I can just grab my phone, take my picture and then, you know, put it back in my pocket. So, so that's very helpful. Um, but yeah, it's visually, I'm always, always looking for interesting things, but you know, I definitely have to turn it off 100% or, or I'm not a good person to hang around with. Yeah. Photographers, we have the, we have that uh, reputation. I think <laughs> I get a lot of eye rolling when it's like, Hey, I'm just going to go take a quick picture. It's like, yeah, we'll see you later. <laughs> You're going to be gone for a while. Um, well, I know Scott, you've said that, uh, like in general, you're this optimistic person, like, um, and, and you try to go through the world, um, you know, like with an optimistic view, um, are there in, are you trying to express any larger themes in your photography? Um, you know, um, especially for the work that you do for yourself, um, you know, on your own for yourself, um, any, any, any larger themes that, um, that tend to come out? that you're, that you have seen, you know, like, as you're saying, you're looking through this, like, long history, 35 years of, of photography, are there themes that come out that, that you um, have been maybe kind of surprised about? Interesting. Like, I think I'm, like, everything that's happened in my career has happened organically, and it just kind of found me. I'm, I'm not someone who researches stories. I'm not someone who's like, you know, just kind of things either pop in my head or I, I hear someone say something or I read something, you know, just when I'm doing something else. Um, so like, and, and I'm always just constantly creating new content. So if it's less, it's like a gallery show or the NFT space or something, I try not to look back too much. Um, but yeah, like I wish I had some great answer that, that I have some sort of, statement i'm supposed i'm trying to say about the world or, or something but you know i i guess i'm just out there you know documenting what i'm seeing and and um you know people say i have a certain style and people say oh i when i see your photo i know it's your photo before i look at the name under it and stuff and which i think is a fantastic compliment and and so so my work must have some sort of something that holds it together um but it, it it definitely, you know, I, you know, except for, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the fact that I, you know, I, I like to celebrate life. But I also commented in our last space that, you know, my, my favorite type of photographs are the intersection of beauty and sadness. You know, like everything, like I don't, even though I'm an optimist, I'm, I'm not looking to make happy photos. You know, I'm not looking to make sad photos either, but I just want to make real photos. And I think sometimes, I don't know why it is, I just feel that happy photos aren't as real as sad photos. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's, um, so I'm always kind of trying to look for something that has a little bit of tinge of melancholy to it, because I think that's kind of my sweet spot of what, what I like to feel. Um, you know, I like sad songs. I like crying at the end of movies. You know, I, I, there's just something, you know, 
just about that, you know, I don't know if it's loss or remembrance or, or what it is, but, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not usually, of course, I'm, you know, sometimes celebratory photos are fantastic and they're, they're wonderful. And if, you know, I'm shooting a wedding or something, I'm not walking around looking for sad photos, but, but the ones that kind of, that make me feel are the ones that are just a little bit, you know, a little bit, little bit melancholy for sure. That's really wonderful. Um, Dima, did you have anything that you wanted to ask? Or, or uh, kind well, of it, uh, well, yeah, really, is it time to wrap it up? Uh, uh, well, we don't one? have to. I just want to let no, 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 uh, yeah, <laughs> get to the winery. No, I really, it's really a pleasure to listen to Scott, and uh, I really enjoy our conversation. And uh, I've never been in San Francisco myself, but uh, looking at Scott's photos, I would definitely want to visit it. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I'm not sure about being optimistic, actually, but uh, Scott, you're a very uh, positive person. That's what for sure. And uh, I think it's way more important to be a positive than optimistic, because then you look for, on a subject, I still use the word subject, uh, for the positivity window, uh, you would definitely enjoy it more, even if there are some sad things, uh, that's still okay, right? Because we're not in, in the forest with the pink unicorns, right? Uh, it's just real world. But uh, positivity is what actually brings us hope and strength. And uh, I really like the way you captured with the positivity. I think it's, it's the best word I can use. I like that. Um, that. That's my new thing. I'm no longer optimistic. I'm positive. So when you hear me in the next space, I'm going to say, I'm a positive person. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And no, ser seriously, you are. And I really love it. And that's why actually it was like a whole person. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I, and I think we'll, I'll just, uh, definitely going to hunt you down on other spaces because I really like the way you speak and uh, the way you actually talk and uh, it gives me energy, especially on Mondays. Oh, I appreciate that, Dima. No, this is this has been great and like just meeting the whole Sloika family has been fantastic. You guys, like such, you know, like a lot of marketplaces are pretty cold and, you know, and you, you guys, it's just, you make it feel just like you're hanging around just chatting and, and I love that. And so all the best to, to you guys and uh, I'm glad to be part of it. Well, we're really super happy to have you as part of it too, Scott. And um, we, uh, yeah, really, really happy to be presenting your work. Um, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I, I was, I, I really like the questions that um, that our listeners brought for you, and um, love all the the perspective that you shared about um, what it, what goes into it for you to take um, to take photos. And I think it's so cool that you have both a profession and a hobby, uh, you know, like avocation that are, um, are so closely aligned. Um, and that, um, really thankful too, that, um, you were not able to, to back up a tire truck very well because it, it made the world better for all of us. <laughs> Sorry about all the walls that you crashed into. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, if I was a tire dealer, I'd be 80 pounds heavier and, and, you know, probably not a very happy person. I would not be positive for sure. So it, it all worked out for the, for the best. Oh, that's really awesome. We uh, we actually visited a tire place over the weekend. Um, we were headed out to just go sit in the car and watch watch the boats on the water. And but when we got to our car, the tire was completely flat, so um, it threw a wrench into our afternoon. Um, but we ended up getting it fixed for only like about ten bucks, and uh, so that was cool. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, maybe we need to make a PFE project called tires with a Z at the end. It'd be tires. It'd be all these different types of tires. So 
there we go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, um, good luck finding some creative angles for wine tasters and art appreciators and whatever is going on up at, <laughs> up at the winery. Is it Mondavi you said you're going to? Yes, yes. And, uh, okay. and, and the thing is, because I'm a photojournalist, it's unethical to take free samples. So I can't even get a, a free bottle of wine out of it. Oh, man. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, to, don't take any free bottles. But maybe, maybe you could pick up a, one for, to enjoy later in the afternoon when you get back. Um, but thank you so much, Scott. We really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with us today. It's been really inspirational, really kicking off our week great um with a great inspirational uh start to it and um, i would just like to let everyone know we'll be back in the soika darkroom at 9 a.m pacific time on wednesday and wednesday is our drop party day so people who have either series are just recently dropped or just about ready to drop are welcome to come and share with us on stage uh, let people know about themselves their photography and the work that will be appearing on soika and um and then Friday, we'll be back with Ev. And of course, Ev is our CEO and co-founder of Sloika. He always brings to us um, interesting things he's found out in the NFT and crypto space throughout the week. And uh, we always learn a lot from Ev on Fridays. So um, same time, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on Friday. So um, thank you, Dima, for joining us again as a co-host. You're always awesome. I love having you as a co-host. And all your questions and perspectives that you bring to the conversation. Thank you, Pam. I, I'm really glad you are finally recovered so we can continue our beautiful spaces. And uh, just again, want to say thank you all, guys. Uh, you really made my Monday. <laughs> yeah, now again, I'm full of energy and I can continue fighting. <laughs> thank you. Thank you all. Continue fighting, continue making new photos. Um, yeah, thanks again, Scott. And good luck with, with your series on Slika, Shooting from the Hip. And um, good luck with the winery shoot this afternoon. And we'll look for you again on, on future spaces out in the world. So, All right. Um, Thank you. Thanks again, Pam and Dima. Right. It, was, it was a great pleasure. All right. Everyone have a great rest of your Monday. Have a good week. And, um, yeah, we'll see you when you're back on Wednesday. Bye for now. <laughs>